Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. We made it all the way up to episode 403. Greg, you could have been 40, you could have been 400, but you had we had to reschedule. Yeah, yeah. And you're one before 404 podcast not found, which we're kind of we're all <laughs> laughing internally about. But uh, I'm your host, Bob Waltonsville, hanging out with producer Randy Walker. Guest this week. I'm gonna see if I can get this all in one shot. We got the CEO of CGS Advisors. We have the author of Competing in, in the Connecting World. And we have the the most important part, a podcast host of you, me, and your top three. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Greg Garrett. That's three Gs. Thank you. Good to see you, sir. There's four of them, man. But it's... Uh, oh, there is four. There's yeah, four. absolutely. Yeah. I just saw, saw someone reviewing that. Greg with two Gs, but it's really Greg with three Gs. But no, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. No, absolutely. Uh, we are. Uh, you can find us online, itnd.com. Do us a favor. Give us a like on the socials. Subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Uh, follow your calendars. This week is an IT and the D meetup. Nancy Whiskey's Corktown, Detroit, the 15th of July. That is Thursday, 5 o'clock to, until question mark. No speakers, no cover charge. Uh, just bring some business cards or don't. It's going to be all IT people hanging out in the patio. Uh, last month was a great event. We were happy to get back after about almost a two-year hiatus. Uh, so if you want to be there, check us out, meetup.com slash ITMD to get all the info. Um, yeah, what a crazy – I got to share a story real quick before we hop in. I know, Randy, you saw Black Widow. We want to dive into that real quick. Um, I get invited by Mr. Casson Thomas, uh, longtime guest of the show, and he says uh, it's a secret place. It's in Fenton. And I'm like, where in the world – what's in Fenton? Is it like a Burger King? Like, I don't know what's going on. And all of a sudden my wife starts talking it up at work and says, Oh my God, it's a speakeasy. And I'm like, okay, it's just like, you know, Hemingway in Rochester. They call it a speakeasy, but it's really just a cool cocktail bar with windows. And no, this place is a Mexican street food place. And then there's a Pringles uh, vending machine down the hallway. You push the $2 Pringles and the door opens up. And voila, is like the most amazing cocktail bar I've ever seen. I mean, a, a list of booze that you can't even start with. There's like 50, 60 of everything. Wow. Um, tiki menu. The food's amazing. Yeah, it's called El Topo. Randy, I think you said you got reservations for a month out. Yeah, after you posted, I was like, I've been thinking about this place forever. I've known about it for a while. and I just haven't bit the bullet to do it. So I booked for the end of the month. So if you want to get in on the weekend, I think it's like a month you need for reservations. During the week, I think you can get the same day. Yeah, I'm going th- uh, Thursday night towards the end of the month. So Nice, nice. And then you uh, you caught Black Widow? I did, yeah. It was my first time back in the theater, I think, since Star Wars Episode Nine, if I'm not mistaken. I heard so it's packed now. That's kind months. of awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, there were a few empty seats in the showing I went to. I went to Thursday at 7 p.m. at uh, the AMC in John, on John R. in Madison Heights. But... Uh, it was great getting back to the theater, you know, drinking three of those 44 ounce mellow yellow zeros from the Coke freestyle machine, seeing the crowd reactions to the funny and, and scary moments and stuff like that. That was a great experience. The mover movie overall was pretty good too. I didn't, I wasn't sure from the trailers where this was actually set in the MCU timeline. It takes place after captain America civil war. So like oh. cap and everybody's still in jail. Um, there is like a prequel scene showing like the origins of black widow. And then there is a post credit scene. So stay after the credits, the very end of the movie, there is another credit scene. So you want to stay after for that. If you've, if you're current all the way up through Avengers Endgame. I did see um, a life hack for movie theaters. Now that everybody's going back, you take your tub of popcorn 
and you put four straws okay in basically up down left and right you yeah. know kind of in the middle-ish part and then you go under the butter machine and you pour the butter into the straw which and then you pull out the straw and then you get a layers butter of butter nice instead of the top part being glorious the bottom part being like sand super dry <laughs> yeah right so That's a good hack. It's it's kind of disgusting, and I'm kind of gross. Just think, feel gross just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, but, of butter. But I'm gonna, but I'm gonna get there and do it. Greg, this I gotta, I gotta kick this off. This question's been looming in my mind all day, and usually, you know, usually I don't think about questions. I usually just dive in, and it's, it's non con. Uh, it's all conversational. This is trouble. No, you're hosting a an event with some pretty heavy hitters. I think CIO of Flagstar, CIO of Penske. And it's it's basically on digital transformation, and everyone I bring this and this is kind of this is what CGS does. Mm-hmm. This is what you know. This is what you do. And I need, like, I consider you like the expert, and and I want you to explain to me, I guess, in, in what digital transformation is, and I kind of want to deep dive in it because it's something that's that we all talk about. We're all in IT. We live and breathe it. Um, but I think it's that word that kind of you'll get asked 50 people you get 50 answers and i want to hear it like from who i consider the expert in the field to like explain it to me that's nice bob thanks so first of all the event just uh so the firm is is hosting it uh i'm uh, this is one of these few and, and growing number hopefully that uh that i'm actually not personally involved in but one of our our fellows uh, angie tuglis who's been with us for a few years now uh she's the former coo of uh of Ally Financial, one of the divisions of Ally, and and uh, works with a lot of technology and business leaders that are interested in technology. She she's actually the moderator for the event, and the and the team's putting it on. And as you said, we've got uh, uh, Leslie Ma, um, Richard Hook, and uh, and Jen from from Flagstar in there, and and they'll give you all the right answers. I guess my point for reason <laughs> bringing all this up, they live it right. They are the the tech leaders for their firms, uh, driving the technology in. And, and transforming uh, through technology, but uh, my my take—I I don't have the uh, the textbook definition. In fact, we've we've been looking at this a little bit about exactly what you've been saying. Is that it's uh, it's gotten to that buzzword status, right? It's that buzz phrase status. Everybody's throwing it around, and people treat it a little bit differently depending on the the advisory firms that are out there that are speaking about it, the the uh, the recipient. But for me, it's it's it kind of becomes kind of simple. Um, on one end, like, let's just take that technology or that digital aspect for a moment. There's uh, whole groupings of technologies that are uh, either on the rise or flourishing, and they are forcing disruption into the marketplace, into the into the environment in which companies compete. And on, on one end, that's forcing the pressure in of the need to change, the need for maybe a new corporate strategy, the need for uh, a new business strategy to compete in your business uh, differently. Uh, absolutely the need for change in the in, in your functions in the way you run your supply chain or the way you run marketing so on one end it's the thrust uh, kind of all happening at the other uh, at once on the other hand it's it's what how you're going to use those technologies uh, to to react to it to, uh, how is it going to actually embed themselves in the strategy and so this if you think 15 20 years ago e-business electronic business yeah, I remember. Um, uh, and then there was another time that uh, that they got rid of the E, and then, then it became the digital business. In, in many ways, it's just one more swash. Swash that. For those of us that have got gray in the beards, uh, it, it's just one more run at the same type of thing. But this is technology forcing disruption into into the into the marketplace, and then leaders needing to understand how are they going to react to it. 
I do think there's a bunch of uh, push for right now is because some of those technologies are growing on top of one another and it's, it's stair-step growth uh, and stair-step disruption. So it's kind of coming at leaders many different ways. And, and at, at the end of the day, this is, this is the simplicity and the complexity of, of digital transformation or digital strategies. It's, uh, uh, it's affecting the business. The business Are you going to be in the same business? Are you going to compete in the business the same way? And regardless of the answer to those, how are you going to apply technologies to all the different functions of your company? So we talked, I've always talked about how, when, you know, they said Walmart would come into a town and shut the town down. Well, the people that the, the businesses, the mom and pops or the service industry around them didn't adapt, right? We, I, I understand kind of restaurants where they had to go through during, uh, uh, during COVID, post-COVID in order to just maintain, stay alive. And in, in some stories I've heard, you know, massive growth because they figured out the to-go game, right? Um, yep. Those all make sense to me. Like what what Flagstar does or what it, like a, you know, I don't mean to use like the bank, for example, just because it came up, but like a Penske in terms of what types of strategies are there, are they employing? You know what I mean? Because again, I get retail, I get the restaurants, but like when I'm looking at like a like an auto manufacturer, for example, what's something that they might've implemented that's, keeping them afloat versus if they would have stayed stagnant, they would have died. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I won't speak to, I'll, I'll let those folks represent on the event that's coming sure. up in, in a week, how they're, uh, you know, using technology to address their own businesses. But I think you, you if we just call out uh, types of companies, right, there's, there's some that have already gone through a lot of uh, digital adjustments and, and financial institutions, many insurance companies, a lot of companies that don't have physical good, uh, They've already the music industry and, and kind of what we're on right here, podcasting, uh, you know, versus traditional radio. There's already been uh, a digitization, if you will, of those businesses. And there, uh, 15 years ago, up until present day, there's already been a thrust through that. So you asked about the auto industry, uh, not so much about Penske, who's kind of a diversified company that happens sure. to have a bunch of money in the in the uh, tied up or, or business being generated from the automotive retail side, but manufacturing, uh, there's a bunch of different technological aspirations and changes being pushed on that. There's the electric vehicle aspects that's, you know, both the technology itself, the infrastructure being built out for it, and now policy, uh, you know, shifting into the, the, the actual, uh, political landscape as, as well as policy landscape. That's forcing some of this change in a, within a timeline uh, that, that that's maybe beyond what just the normal market forces would be, uh, as well as the digital technologies of uh, autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles, information everywhere. And uh, those companies, some of them have started to shift. Some of them haven't started to shift quite yet. But the easiest, uh, you, you look for an example, some of the easiest would be what what professionals are referring to as industry 4.0, right? The next, the next, uh, evolution the next uh, industrial revolution and this is, that is real yeah for sure in a sense i mean it, it, first of all it's there's a pretty broad scope if you go to ask people that are speaking on educating on industry 4.0 it's it's kind of like uh just replace digital and put industry 4.0 in there and you got the same thing but i mean it's, thing. i mean let's let's pause right there real quick because that's a that's a bold statement to say that what was it um was it steam was it electricity i, I forget what the the first the three industries were yeah, you've got. I mean, you've got you've got the agra, uh, agra to industrial age is the big one, right? But you're basically going from man or animal power to steam power, and then steam power to electric mechanical power, and then from uh, electric mechanical 
types of processing, which was the, the big revolution now to the computer and digitization of that. So right. censoring and being able to command and control and lights out factory and whatnot. Yes. And then now it's there. Basically, it's data, which is, you know, some people have said it's the greatest commodity that we're going to see in over the next what 20 years, 10 years. It is because I mean, this is what uh, you know. You mentioned the book, and this is some of the stuff that we write about. And and you asked, is it real? It is. Maybe not. It's not the complete vision yet of the whole world is connected and everything's digitized and information is flowing everywhere. But a lot of it is uh, because more and more software is embedding itself into products. Uh, so the product itself is becoming a platform. It can be multi-use, and you can reflash it versus you know re-physically engineer it, etc. And so you take a lot of those aspects that's part of the digitization of the product there's the digitization of the of the manufacturing line you can censor the entire uh manufacturing facility if you will and you can make adjustments on the fly both input and output uh maybe changing the way you make or changing the material mixture depending on what it is you're making uh you've also got different types of manufacturing process now so is it real yes what it isn't uh very few companies that i've witnessed at least are doing it end to end. You know, you've got these great pictures, grandiose. You've got some of the big technology companies embedding uh, or, or spending cash into it, both from a marketing perspective as well as a, a proof of concept pilot wise. And they're showing what it would look like end to end if every single thing was digitized. Um, I don't think many firms that I've witnessed have have quite bought into it yet. But that's that's the beginning of a change. You know, uh, eventually a lot of this will come, and the value will be found of maybe some portions of a value chain or. For certain firms, uh, have more return versus others, but I'm witnessing a lot of it, and uh, I, I scratched my own head at it at, at some points a few years ago, thinking, "Will the old school manufacturers really buy off on this?" And I'm seeing some and working with some that are absolutely uh, spending a lot of time, spending a lot of money, and getting the re- return in these different points, and these points are starting to add up and. Uh, you know, some of, uh, one of our clients, I won't, won't, won't mention the name, some of their plants have done this and some of their plants haven't, for instance. And the ones that have are getting incredibly higher return than the ones that uh, haven't. And so that's, that's proof that some, something's working inside that system. Coming from a, a family of German immigrants that where they, they all worked and lived in two and die shops for their entire working lives. Now you look at some of my cousins that stayed in the business. Um, they, they're coders now. They are not, you know, they are not machinists. Um, they basically are programming machines to, you know, where in fact before there was all manual. Now it's, yeah. you know, no part. So one of the, I, the story popped up in my head. We, I like talking retail, lot, some of it make the stuff that makes sense to me. And I remember there was a time where like Walmart was innovating and they were RFID tagging everything. And basically they were doing analytics on, you know, I'm going to use Coke, for example, like how much Coke was on the shelf versus in a cart versus through the turnstile versus in the back room versus on the truck so they could predictively analyze. Um, but now it, it's, it, but I don't hear anything about it now. Like things like that, is that, is some of the stuff they've is tried and failed or is like the predictive analytics on, on uh, just in time delivery on re, like, is that stuff still existing? We're just not hearing about it because it's not new. Well, uh, so so I've read some, I, I haven't worked with Walmart. Uh, I've read some of the same things that you have. I've spoken with people who've, say they've worked with Walmart and whatnot. And I think there's a lot of complexities. Number one is, I don't know if necessarily know if they were putting the RFID technology into the packaging themselves or, or trying to incentivize their value chain uh, in order to, or their, their, their supply chain in order to do that kind of on their behalf. But I've read the same things. Uh, I, I think that I, I don't know about that one in particular. What I would say is just like any technological uh, innovation, uh, any innovation in general, 
if you get brave enough and you actually try to force change, some things are going to, it's a, it's a portfolio game, right? Uh, some things are going to take off and work and other ones aren't. Uh, a lot of these new technologies, especially couple that with a large brand and have, have uh, potentially leaders inside those organizations trying to affect stock price, you're going to hear about some of the experiments, right? Sometimes they don't always sure. say that. They, they just say new technology A inside of this part of our value stream. Look at all the, look at how, how innovative we are and stock price might go up or they attract new employees or, or they make it, they move the market in one way, shape or form. They don't always say, uh, I only did it in one facility. I only, you know, I'm only trying it in this space It's a true proof of concept before I even pilot it. So I can't speak to that one in particular, but I can tell you the pattern makes sense. I think the pattern makes sense. They try some things. Uh, some of them, they learn, they shut it down, they apply a new technology. In regards to that, it really probably depends on where they thought they would get the value out of. I think that uh, embedding technology inside of things like packaging and inside of consumable, especially disposable goods, it's it, Walmart's a huge organization and they have you know one of the, the largest retailer in the world, uh, depending on who's counting. Um, they can represent a huge part of the market and they can say to the market, hey, we want this, we're going to try it. And they hope the rest of the market uh, adopts it as well. A smaller organization can't do that. So you have to sometimes look for what's the path of least resistance for adoption across the whole value chain. And maybe it's cameras. Uh, maybe it's, as you're saying, maybe they don't need to censor the packaging at all. Uh, maybe they can just use data and do some more predictive modeling and get close enough. And so they don't need to actually alter the packaging. But this is, I think it's a great example, Bob, because at least from where I sit, this is ecosystem, multi-ecosystem kind of changing, shaping, disruption. That's why it's such a big deal. It's not just one industry. It's many industries. It's not just one node or one company in a supply chain. It's a whole supply chain. And in order to get that flywheel of change in all the different spots going, they don't, they're not always timed at the, at the same time. So you're going to get ebbs, I, I think, fits and starts sometimes of, uh, you know, you're going to ramp something up. Well, it wasn't quite great for here, but it might be great for down there. If I can just, I know I'm speaking a lot on it, but if I can throw one more piece, we're, we're doing a, a project with a, a large client right now and they, they're, they're helping us stand up. They're sponsoring the, uh, uh, the, the creation of uh, what we're calling the Industry 4.0 uh, orchestration collaborative. So looking at these Industry 4.0, Industry 4.0 technologies and thinking that we have to orchestrate the way that a lot of these different nodes work together. And so we went out and uh, interviewed about 35 to 40 um, supply chain, business, technology executives from, from very meaningful companies uh, across the world. And one of the patterns that we heard fall out of it was they're seeing all this technology coming. They're seeing the value, but there's one uh, rub. They're saying that uh, the investment for the technology may happen at point A in the value chain. The return on the on that investment may happen at point B. The rub is there, the the difference between point A and point B. They're two different organizations. They're two different companies. So I need company A to invest in this technology up here so that I can get the data to inform my part of the value chain down here. And this is something that we haven't seen a whole lot of in the past of uh, make these investments, but the ROI is actually down here. So do we put that into the pricing? Do you charge for the data? What is the business model around this, this investing? So that's something that we're working on the next few months is to try to fan those conversations and see if we can get a few of these players to work with one another to try to figure out how, how will that business model work? If they put that technology in or will you fund their technology up here and then sign a long-term agreement that they're going to be your supplier? How will that work? And then, so 
I think it is, it's a notable one that you call out with uh, with the Walmart example, but I think we're living at present day as well. I'm just looking at from a, from their example, millions of SKUs. You have inventory. You know, basically, you could spreadsheet their inventory and say we've never sold more than twelve of these in any given week. We need fourteen on hand just in case. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, but now if you look at it, they have a predictive analytics big data pool of all this this like this just in time inventory. You know, it all. I don't want to say it seems like too much because I know it's, it goes farther than my simplistic thinking because obviously that like like you said there's between the manufacturing and the shipping and everything there's 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 thousands and thousands of cogs that go into that product getting from A to B but but at the end of the day you know like yeah is is it worth the ru- is it, is the juice worth the squeeze when when you break this whole thing down because it's it's getting crazy. No, it is. I mean, it's not going to be right for everyone. Uh, you know, large firms that have channel control are going to be able to move at a different speed than, uh, you know, maybe a very agile smaller firm, which is going to be able to move at an entirely different speed than a mid-sized firm that is probably caught in the middle. They're not, they're too big to be you know, agile, and they're too small to have channel control. So, it's. It, I think the adoption curve is going to be quite different for every firm and and likely uh, every industry as well. Sure. Well, uh, one more question, then I'll then I'll take a take a left. Um, Patrick asked <laughs> on on comments. He goes, assembly line work being digitized. Should he be worried? I know he's a UAW works on the assembly line. Um, I don't see ever that going away. Uh, I know he's. I think he's concerned maybe about robotics taking place. Um, I think it already has. Um, but I mean, what what's your take or what's your feel on on the whole, whole auto uh, manufacturing industry? I don't know so much about. I mean, I think that you 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 already touched on a piece of it. Is there's already been automation inside of uh, plants for some time now. Uh, the, the auto companies, I think, have had a long and storied. I won't say you know positive or negative, but a long storied uh, uh, history with with organized labor and uh, ebbs and flows, ups and downs. But I think that. There's already technology in those plants. Uh, I, I, your, your story of your your immigrant uh, uh, relatives, I think, is probably a smart one to think about. Is uh, I don't know how how long he's been working in the plant, but I'm sure the the, the line workers' uh, job has changed over the last decades. Right? They they went from maybe using simple tools to more complex tools. They've they've got uh, assisted. You know, certain positions in the plant uh, have got uh, technology there assisting them. So I think that change is going to just continue to happen. I also think that organized labor is an interesting one here is uh, what, what will the role of organized labor be in the adoption of these technologies? Will it uh, be in the impediment? Hey, we're going to, we need to slow these things down or is it going to be, Hey, I want to make sure our, our skilled labor are the ones that actually take care of this technology. And as that technology actually permeates its way into the product as well, what will the role there be? Uh, I won't be suggesting. I'm not. I have no real ties to organized labor, so I I, I can't say it's the right thing or the wrong thing. But um, you know, I've heard, I heard someone say a long while ago the uh, the coder uh, is, is kind of the lineman of of you know the present day or of the future. Well, there was a reason that uh, that there were there was organized labor for the the lineman. Will that permeate somehow or another into the the coding camps and and whatnot. So I think there's a lot of questions. There's probably more questions than answers, but I'll go back to kind of what you said, Bob, is I don't think that your listener necessarily needs to be uh, extremely concerned over the course of the next minutes, months, years. Uh, I think technology takes a while to diffuse oftentimes into, uh, into, into spaces, and a lot of it already has. See, this is why you're a gentleman and I'm not. I'm going to say, Patrick, go get a job at FANUC, you know, robotics. Um, no, I'm just kidding, Patrick. I wouldn't tell you that. <laughs> Um, so talk to me about the book. This one thing I think everybody 
like there's two i had a long conversation with a buddy of mine saying i can't believe you haven't wrote written a screenplay of all the stupid stories you have and i said <laughs> i just never really sat down and done it and i think writing a book is more difficult because you're you're you you are telling a story but you're not especially when you're educating i guess Talk, becoming an author and actually aren't you best selling can i can i drop that one you can you, drop it man for sure Amazon, yeah. Yeah, yeah so becoming like a best selling author i mean walk me through that process obviously you had a, a head full of stuff and to get it out in a concise manner i mean it, it seems arduous you know talk to me about that yeah yeah so i mean it's a it's a, a few years ago now that we did this uh i think the topics are hopefully evergreening and, and whatnot but uh competing in the connecting world uh, it's a little bit of the day job. It's you can hear me kind of just barking out thoughts on on this. this. Is what we speak to clients on a fairly regular basis. But the real uh, edification of the book was uh, some years ago now, nine nine plus years ago now. I was asked by a local university, Oakland University, to uh, teach a graduate uh, course there in the business and engineering school, and uh, it was called "Competing in the Connecting World," or it is called "Competing in the Connecting World," and we we. They asked me to teach this because I got noisy in an advisory board meeting one time and said, are we really educating the students uh, for the future? Are we educating them of the, of the past? And they said, well, would you help us educate them for the future? And so we developed this course and um, taught it year one and thought, well, I just haven't looked hard enough. We'll go find some text that uh, will, will help them out. So I looked at all the academic text and had some you know real professors help me and couldn't really find anything. And then we said, okay, well, it must not be in the academic camps. Let's look at all the you know consulting texts out there uh, and did the same thing year two. And we got into year three or year four and we were cobbling together these lessons, but we had started repeatability of uh, module one of the course is this, module two of the course is this, module three of the course is that. And we sat back and said, well, we got the basic framework of the book. So we pitched it to a, a publisher uh, and they thought it was, Okay, Lion Crest did uh, at Scribe Media, and uh, off we went. And the process was: I had a co-author, Dr. Warren Ritchie, and boy, somewhere between writing a book in the first place and having two guys that have a lot of thoughts, uh, that was quite a process. It took a long time. had a had a great editor, and uh, it, it finally was born out. We're pretty proud of it. So that's that's a little bit of how we did or why we did it, I guess. And uh, we, we thought that, you know, if we, we probably can't work with everybody in the consulting capacity and I can't have everybody in a classroom. So if we put it down in the book, it can help our clients, it can help our students and then anybody else that's, uh, you know, far off, they can maybe grab a copy and at least get some perspective on how to compete in this uh, ever connecting world. To, uh, to edit something like that when you have two voices, because I don't know, I don't know how you, 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 you write kind of like how you talk, but everyone that's ever written or read a blog I've written is basically said that I can just hear you yelling about this, um, <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, is a compliment. I don't know. Um, but I mean, with two voices, I guess, can you, you, I can't tell, but can you tell when you're reading it and when you've read it, like who said what, where? Because, you know, you can, you know, you're obviously, you know, your voice. And- a little bit, Bob. We, uh, the, the process uh, helped us a lot with that because, uh, the, you know, the publisher took us through uh, outlining it and narratives and recording our speaking and getting it transcribed and then into written word and letting us adjust us from there. But we had a, a very, very strong editor whose their job near the end was to give it a single voice. So uh, at one point, and I should have done this, uh, I, I didn't. 
somebody said, you know, nobody has time to read all these smart words you put down. That people listen to books now. You should, uh, you know, make an audio, make an audio book. And then, then I thought that was pretty good advice. And then someone gave me some not such great advice, which is people like to listen to the author read their own book. You should read your own book. You've got a, a decent voice. Read your own book. And it wasn't until I read the book out loud, Bob, that I uh, realized what a different, uh, you know, the chapters that I had written, they were very easy for me to read. The chapters that uh, that Warren had written, even though we both edited it, but even though it was mixture, it was, you know, just say 51% him and 49% me, if it was, if it, yeah. if it was even that close. I couldn't get through, I couldn't get through reading one. So yes, it's definitely different. Maybe not to the common reader or the common skimmer. Um, but, but for the authors, yeah, I can, I can feel the difference. See, Dave and I had this uncanny thing where I would start all the don't be that guy blogs we wrote. There's about 140, 150 of them. And, uh, we always talked about putting that into a book, but I said, it doesn't look like a book. It just looks like a couple guys bitching about stuff on a blog. Um, but I used to always start it and he used to always finish it. And it always, you could always tell where I, you know, when I looked at it, where I, where he filled in and where I, and the, you know, where he would add and, you know what I mean? It was like to us. Oh, yeah. Well, no, knowing him just a little bit, I can, I just stylistically, I'm, I'm sure that there was uh you know, the, 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 the sun was out in some and, and the night was out in others, I'm sure in, in different parts of uh, some of those blog posts, but uh, yeah, it's a process. If you ever get serious about wanting to push that, I'm happy to make an introduction to, uh, I, I, um, to the publisher. I, yeah. I think, I think just for like, his legacy and all the crap that we put out, all the content we put out there. Granted, yeah. you know, we have, you know, 395, I think, podcasts together. Um, but, you know, just to just, yeah, that would be great, actually. Yeah, for sure. Um, just hit, hit me off, off off air and we'll uh, I'll get you connected. Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember before you were big time, you used to go out for beers with me. And then uh, you know, now it's like. <laughs> you play Does like, anybody go out for beers anymore? I mean, it's post-COVID. I like we just all get on Zoom calls and, <laughs> and drink. No, yeah, absolutely, man, for sure. Um your podcast now you, you know is this just like hey books done on board um <laughs> <laughs> uh no no it's uh it's more than that so you me your top three um actually i like the concept it's kind of like the you know and it's funny because i've thought about this i listened to your you know podcast over the last few weeks and uh just i don't know who i would put as my top three you know <laughs> There's so many people that have in, had an influence in my life. That's a very difficult question to ask. Yeah, um, yeah. And I look at I look at the people you put out. You know, on LinkedIn. You know, you you are half my feed, by the way, on LinkedIn, which is a good thing. Um, but I mean, you got some heavy hitters like that come on your show. And I mean, I, my fa- I think the favorite was the the World War II vet. Oh and yeah, just, Jerry just Cox. Yeah, yeah, just to hear stories and your top three. I guess talk to me. Was that just something you guys would talk over at a bar, or what was? Where the idea for that? Where did that? Come from? Uh, well, it's uh, the the actual uh, the podcast was born out of, out of coffee shops and a little earlier in the morning, at least for me. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, I mean the, the quick version of it uh, with with a with a throwback way back to when I was a kid. But uh, it was a little bit out of the book. Uh, I, I I speak. I do a bit of, of, of public speaking now, keynote speaking, and. Um, some advice people said is, hey, as you're going to continue to do this, you need to keep fresh content. Write another book. And I said, are you kidding me? I, yeah, yeah. Write, writing, I, I just, I'm just surviving the first one. I can't get another book out to keep the content fresh. And they said, well, if you, if you like to talk, just record, your, you know, record yourself. And, and being on your show, frankly, Bob, and, and you and your network helped uh, kind of get, get me t- uh, tuned into some of the, the tools and the local resources to be able to do that and whatnot. But the podcast 
speaking and, and my network and people that, uh, that are, are willing to come speak with me, that seemed a little easier. So, um, that's how it got started. The, the, sh- the show concept was at a coffee shop and it was a, just a conversation about, uh, you know, you're kind of a, a maturation of, uh, the people that you surround yourself with most, uh, most regularly. And we were talking about it, a friend of mine and I were, were uh, speaking about an interview process uh, that he goes through. And one of his formal questions that he asks actually is tell me, it's, it's basically a version of the podcast question. Uh, tell me the top five people that uh, that you spend time with right now. And he, he writes them down and he judges the candidates based on less about what they say and more about the people that they uh, that he that he surrounds himself with. That's, a heavy, it, that's a heavy question. It's a, it's a great question, and I mean, he said he's thrown out fantastic folks. If they say, well, you know, my uh, uh, my spouse, my sister, my two kids, and uh, and if it's all family time, he said, there's nothing wrong with that. Just not right for my company. I'm looking yeah. for people. You know, I'm looking for people that are surrounding themselves with other professionals, for instance, etc. So he went through this, and I, it, it just I, I thought about it on the drive home. I thought of it the next day. And I thought about something my grandfather used to say to me when I was a kid, uh, which was, you're known by the company you keep. And I, uh, I, I did a lot of reflection and thought, why do people keep telling me that I've got such a great network? I mean, I, I was just an only child, really shy growing up. Uh, why is it that I can hold on to relationships when other people may struggle with it? And uh, I invest in them and I surround myself with great people. And uh, the only reason I've done anything, I mean, you're very kind and say that I've uh, you know that I'm, I've accomplished a thing or two, but the only reason I've done any of that is because I've really surrounded myself with a a network of fantastic folks. And so I thought this is this is it. Let me start asking others who they surround themselves with, and the show was born out of that. So you know, my grandpa used to always say, "Don't ever skimp on three things." You know, alcohol, food, and toilet paper. As a smart man, a wise man as well, especially pre-pandemic. So I'm checking out your podcast here on your CGS website, and uh, I'd like to commend your web web developer for using the uh, podcast subscription buttons plugin to share links to where to subscribe to your plugins. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> that plugin happens to be written by somebody named Randy Walker. Yes, that's right. That's right. Oh. That's, I've, I've heard I've heard all about that. That's absolutely right. So. So I gotta. So here's another thing I gotta commend you on. See here, here we are. This this loosey goosey. You know, we don't drink beer like we used to. Show, um, and then you listen to your show, and I mean, it couldn't be more out of an NPR, like produced, edited, like the 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 music, like no ums and ahs. It's uh, I mean, you know, I I guess uh, I just t- tip of the hat to you for putting out a uh, a product that would probably drive me into the ground if I ever had to uh, get to that level of uh, perfection. It's all the team. It's all. I mean, it, it, you you know this game, right? I mean, sure. uh, the the if you get some good guests that have, are halfway interesting, and you ask them a couple of questions that uh, that they're not going to st- totally struggle with, and then you give it to a a team that knows how to produce things. When I mean, you got Randy making sure that the sound is right and the levels are there and the podcast buttons, are, it's uh, it's all the team. But thank you for the kind compliments and whatnot. And and you and I had a chat uh, months ago about, Hey, are you going for the NPR thing? You know, I, I probably was without, I think I told you the dirty little secret. I, I, uh, I launched a podcast and I never really listened to podcasts. I didn't say, uh, let me make it a little bit more like uh, Rogan's and this one. I, I had, I just, this is me and the people I talk to normally. This is just kind of, this is what you'd get over lunch kind of with uh, Greg. So sorry, man. I know that's pretty boring stuff, but, uh, <laughs> But uh, but some, I've got some pretty fantastic people coming along on the boredom with me, so that's good. That was uh, that was how we got started. It was uh, Raw Radio X down at the Russell. This is what eight years ago, and it was like, hey, uh, you guys are pretty funny. You want to do Monday nights because we just lost our show, and it's fifteen bucks a week. You just come in and talk to this can, 
and we're like, what's a podcast? <laughs> I don't, I still have a hard time listening to them. I'm not going to lie. Um, I, I will, when I go on road trips and whatnot, I'll, you know, I'll put on, but just to find ones, it's, it's the, I think that's the biggest part right now is the discoverability. You know, I know at channel four at eight o'clock, it's going to be a good show regardless of what I like or what I don't. Right. Like right. podcasting. It's such a weird. Now, when, what I wanted to ask you, I'll, I, I always love telling the story and I want to see where you were in that stage. Um, I was friends with Larry Henry from uh, WWJ, right? He's the MIS PA guy. And he, he's got that voice, man. He's, he's a God. And he, so I, I went into episode one going, Hey, welcome everybody to the IT of the D show. This is your, you know, and it just, then I listened to it. I'm like, Oh my God, I sounded like a complete idiot. Like just, <laughs> and then I tried to do like the post bar voice when I was like the raspy, you know, cause I'm drunk, I'm yelling and that just got awful. So it took me, eight to 12 episodes before i'm like you know what just talk idiot me yeah yeah i mean what did you do were you practicing how, how talk to me about that process to get to <laughs> like have you found your voice yet i guess that's another i don't know point. you guys need to tell me you're the you're the experts man you're uh, you're on 403 here i'm i'm only on 115 <laughs> or whatever but uh i don't know the the tonality and the voice i mean people have always I mean, I've got sort of a deep voice, so I think the people have always said that yeah, I've got a decent voice for it. What I found, and I think you were the one that told me, just episodes one through ten, you're not going to have an idea what you're doing. You think you're going to know, yeah. but you're not going to have an, even a clue of what you're doing, and that couldn't have been better advice. Uh, I mean, if you, by the way, if you were a guest on episodes one through ten, they were the best episodes. They're fantastic, but episodes 11 plus or 11 through 25 was really where I was probably starting to find my footing, and I remember having scripts, you know, all kinds of questions. What, what am I going to talk to this person about? And by the time, you know, now I've got three questions that I ask and the rest of it's conversational and and the prep work is way down. And uh, maybe you can hear it that way. Maybe it sounds like it's completely loose and and, and no value. But, uh, but I think probably somewhere between 11 and 20 is when I figured out what I was doing. And you guys can tell me if the voice changed over time. No, you're, you still got that. Uh, it's, it's that calm, cool. You know, <laughs> I, I can listen to you over a coffee, and and my blood pressure won't go up. And I, I'm just, it's just nice. It's just good. It's just perfect. Well, we got yeah. you late at night, and we can get the uh, the coffee voice in the morning. That's perfect. Man, I tell you what, the um, our the PR company that we worked with, the British lady, I used to always tell her she's she needs to do like bedtime stories. So I always I had something with British women reading bedtime stories, and I'm like just to like to relax at the end of the night, you know, just cup of tea, you know, <laughs> listening. to <laughs> The way your mind works, man. I tell you, I love it. So. You have no idea. So that I mean, that was a big <laughs> problem that I had with with you know, um, you know, shot in the air. Dave being gone is is you know, do I do a do I do this? Do I pick it back up? B, um, you know, we bounced each off each other. It wasn't necessarily what we said; it was how we did it. And no, for sure, you know, and I ha- I've been having a lot of conversations with some um, peers and network and colleagues, and just about like me figuring out now you know, I'm refiguring out this whole thing again. Yeah. And I think we're about 10 in. And I think this is, yes, the last week and this week are the two that I didn't have anxiety and cold sweats during the whole entire episode. Um, you look great, man. You look great. I don't see, I don't see any, there's no think, sparkle on the, on the on the brow or anything. It's great. I think the AC's on. I think that's that's a big part of it. <laughs> that works. Um, that works. But so how, how are you feeling though? Is it, uh, are you feeling like there's a, there's a, there's a miss? Is there, yeah. do, you, do you have yeah. that gap? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and and that's one of the things like you can't replicate it. It's not like I can go, hey, Steve, 
You know what I mean? And then we sit down and do it. That's why I said it's either got to be me and, you know, with Randy, because Randy's been there the whole time helping. Yeah. So it's either either me and Randy or, we, or I just don't do it. I, if I bring in another one, you know, because Nuri moved to New Zealand, he would have been, you know. Um, so, I mean, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just doing it. I, and it took me about a month and a half, I think, before we dove in. And we did an episode of Ming and Mike with, from Comic Book Men. Oh, yeah. And then we just kind of started calling out and saying hey want to be on the show and nobody's told me no one person's declined this said you know because they were they were pretty close to him and said i, I just can't yet well i mean I, kudos to you for uh you know honoring it and you know forging forward you know you you you, you said that you're kind enough to pay attention to some of the stuff i put out there bravery is kind of the, the big thing that i want to fan into people leaders in general leaders of organizations podcast leaders civil leaders whatever uh, you know, in order to be a, a true leader, you got to be a little bit brave. And so you're putting yourself out there. Maybe for many, they just see episode 403. Hey, this is this is Bob jumping back in. But uh, but as you said, you had a platform that was way different. And uh, kudos to you for, for for finding the new footing underneath you. Um, and, you know, at least image of one on episode 403, 40 minutes and 53 seconds in. You seem to be doing just great, man. Just great. <laughs> well, even you know those those the 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 rest of the fifteen minutes would have been us talking about Star Wars and MCU movies, but you don't watch anything. So <laughs> last week, I guess AJ could have talked for three years on Star Wars and. Well, I've watched all the Star Wars films, but being an expert, keeping up with the two of you guys on any of this stuff, I remember coming into the studio one time. It was I think I was supposed to be. I don't know, one of one or two guests and you guys grabbed me at the door and I don't, please don't try to make me remember who it was, but you guys were so excited. Hey, we were at Comic-Con or we were at some local thing and so-and-so's from, the, and I'm thinking, who is this guy? I have no idea. And I got in here and thought, I am, this is interesting, but I'm not sure what I'm going to talk about. And I think you were kind enough to ask me some disruption question and then got back to the real, real fun. So uh, yeah, no, I, I I get that, but I did. I wanted to ask you guys started off with uh, with the Black Widow stuff, and I haven't watched it yet. But my, I've got kids, and uh, with with Disney Plus, I'm curious what you guys are thinking because you, Randy, you went to the theater and sat yeah. there, yeah. And, and saw it in, in live. But they're also advertising it for twenty nine dollars. You can uh, premiere it at home. Do you think this mixed modal is here to stay? I mean, from as a consumer. Well, from what I read this weekend, it got something like sixty million dollars just this weekend from the on-demand Disney premiere access. Interesting. In addition to 30, 20, 30 million in the theater for opening weekend. So I think and, and, it's a pretty good way to release a movie these days. And I'm wondering for you though, so you're a fan, right? You're, yeah. you're part of the, oh, you, yeah. you watch all the Marvel stuff. So Absolutely. do you think that people will do both? This is my curiosity is would you go to the theater, watch it and think that if it was, if it was great, maybe, maybe not black widow, but if it was one of the top uh, Marvel releases, would you go to the theater, watch it, and then come home and subscribe to be able to watch it again with the family and that kind of thing? I have a Disney Plus subscription, but I so far haven't paid for any of the Premier Access stuff. I'm okay, okay. waiting the three months. And okay. now that the theaters are open, I would go see a movie twice in the theater before I would pay $30 to download it at home. Because you, you want the, the experience. Bucks, yeah. The six bucks when it came out rental, all the Star Wars movies. I saw in the theater twice, once with my buddies, once with my kids. And then I'd rent it probably three times when it came out on 599 comcast um then that was the thing my issue was i saw the 30 bucks and at first you're like you know eat shit and then secondly you say wait a minute okay if i'm gonna drop 12 bucks a ticket i'll go to imagine then i gotta buy popcorn i mean it's, take my two daughters it's a 70 dollar bill for the three of us easily um i paid 30 bucks 
but try to get two teenage daughters to sit with dad without their phones for two hours and watching a movie. It's not <laughs> happening. So I didn't even bother. I didn't even bother bringing it up. That's interesting. I, I hadn't even thought of the, uh, the, the multi-device, you know, shut them down in the theater, but at home you can, uh, you can, you can be streaming live about what you're watching. It's a, uh, that's there's something there I think. Well, that's, you look, that's, that's really I, you know, I got a 70 inch TV right there with Bose surround sound, loud. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. how I introduced Star Wars to him. We all sat on the front of the couch, turned the all the lights off in the house, turned the TV up to 40, and blast. You know, went six days in a row of Star Wars. I don't think yeah. I can get. You know, I can't get. I uh, can't do that these days. But you know, the the experience at home now is is all is very close to in the theater. Yeah, that's well, different. It, it, I think the the experience, the the actual intake of the movie might be the same or uh, very similar. But as, as you're saying, Randy, watching it with others, hearing the energy in the crowd, uh, getting the the four straws with the liquid butter, uh, you know, <laughs> setup that you, uh, uh, you know, there there is absolutely uh, some, some some form of shared experience that goes on there. And I interviewed uh, a, a, a executive for. Uh, some of the local uh, theaters here, Paul, and I was asking him, I mean, talk about an industry that was sidetracked and needed to think about how they're going to reinvent themselves uh, during COVID. I mean, the, the, the entertainment and the theater industry was one of them. And he was really, I mean, he's been, he's seen some ups and downs of uh, over the times that he's owned, um, uh, you know, the different uh, Imagine theaters in, in, in the area He's he's really he believes that this is going to be a really good thing for a lot of uh, theater owners uh, and the industry in the long term. Short term pain, but he he thinks there's going to be a long term gain. You want to talk about innovation? I mean, I think he wrote the book for the movie business in terms of theater going, just by adding the 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 extra fat seats with the recline and having a you know having a nice cocktail and or a beer and you know putting out. I guess better than, you know, like a hot dog on a foot massage roller and a popcorn, you know what I mean? Like actually putting out decent food. I think they brought in one of the pizzerias, I think in the Royal Oak, you know, location. So, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, you know, I think he wrote the book on, on changing that game. Talk about a humble guy too. I mean, I, I I'm, I'm so always taken back when you start asking people about who they surround themselves with, you know, some just look around them, which is a fair way and others really go deep. And he was one of these that went deep uh, into his background and, how he got started in the first place and and those he can depend on to finance the deals because these theaters aren't cheap and kind of a fascinating, it, it, w- it went a different direction than I thought it would uh, in the interview. I didn't know Paul ahead of time, but it was gracious to give me the time. And uh, anyways, for anybody that's interested in the, th- the local theater scene, he maybe tune in to listen to, to something that's in his mind about See, where the, he thinks the theater's going to go. The things that I don't get they're the, I think they're missing the boat on. Maybe I'm stupid or maybe they can't is like, no one's doing Rocky Horror at midnight on, you know, once a month on a Friday or whatever on the 30. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, sports, you know, the McGregor fight. Would you have rather seen it in the theater or at your buddy's house? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. Though. I don't know enough about what the licensing is like for that stuff. I'm I'm assuming they can probably find some way to do it and monetize it. I just, you know, perhaps it's, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it is preclusive. I, I, I have no idea. But uh, you know, they but tried right. it. You know, we always thought like, a, you know, like the double features, you know, the drive-ins when we were kids playing like. Smokey and the Bandit one and two or something ridiculous, you know. Like I would totally go to that and get a group of guys and you know. Well, the family and I do a drive-in at least three times a, a summer, and man, that that which one is, is difficult. We're at the Cherry Bowl up north, up in uh, okay. up in the Leonard Peninsula, but the, 
that, you know, we're rolling home at three 30 in the morning. Uh, when I was, you know, my twenties, that sounded pretty good, but uh, at the age I'm at now, I can, I can never stay awake through the second feature, but it's not the Rocky Horror Picture Show either, but I don't know. It's right. Tough. It's tough. I, I, I still remember when, uh, was it 13 and Gra- I was at Gratiot. Yeah. That was like the, the one we used to always go to and dad had the station wagon and you beg him to climb on the roof and, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, those are different times. Good old days, man. Good old days for sure. For sure. So what's, uh, you know, I hate to drop a question where you're like throwing you a curveball. You know, we didn't talk about innovation. We've been talking about, um, you know, companies changing and whatnot. Uh, you got any bold predictions for like, what's the, the like what thing we're going to see next that, that we might not be, uh, might be on the fringe. Technology wise, you mean, uh, yeah. let's, you know, I'll, I'll open it up to anything. I guess I'm I just curious. I, I was like talking about what ifs and cool stuff, and yeah, uh, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it it all is judged from the perspective of of either in this case the listener, but uh, of who you're who you're with. Um, I guess I'm always kind of shocked when I when I start my class in the fall and I've got all these you know well educated college kids in their 20s and 30s for the most part. You know, there are older older folks in there as well, but the, the majorities are in their twenties and thirties in the, in these master's programs. I'm always, I, I always, you know, we start something like this of, uh, you know, tell me about some connected systems that you work with or tell, talk about the, where technology is permeating your life. And I always think that they're going to be way out there because they're young and they're on all of the different socials and stuff. They're not. So this is my, that's my long way of getting at it. It's hard for me to judge of what's whiz bang and, and new for, you know, certain audiences is, is totally old school for, for another audience. I, I guess from where I sit, um, a lot of the technologies that are, uh, are already starting to be talked about a lot, I think are going to, in the, in the next number of years, three to seven years are going to start becoming more mainstay, which I think is going to really, really matter. So some of the autonomous vehicle aspects uh, across the board, some of the drone technologies, I mean, we just saw Branson, you know, go into space. I'm surprised you're not talking about him. That, that just happened over the weekend. That was of, weird. Uh, that go, was going weird. into space. I think some of this stuff is going to go from weird, to your point, of to, to a little bit more center, centered. Um, I will say that some of my colleagues and I, uh, I wouldn't say we argue, but we speak passionately about kind of as, as you're starting to censor all kinds of things, right? When we have, when we have actual sensors in the environment in many, many places, you're going to be able to create an over, overused buzz phrase for some, uh, a digital twin of the environment, right? You're going to be able to really know in real time digitally what that physical place is, is going to be like. And, and that data set, that, that overly censored arena is going to allow for all kinds of interesting things to happen because you're going to be able to simulate uh, what's going to happen when you put something else in there, when you put a human in there, when you put a, a, a new product there, when you put a new... Uh, experience or new service there, you're going to be able to simulate it in real time to see what's going to happen before you put it there. And that's going to open up all kinds of whole new business models, uh, change the cost structure completely. Uh, before you before you make something, you'll know how it's going to potentially behave. You might know how it's actually going to be consumed. And so some of that is going to feel like a different level of prediction, perhaps. And I mm-hmm. think that that's going to be kind of interesting stuff. But is there some whiz-bang brand new technology that no one's ever heard of? Uh, not that I'm ready to talk about on this on this call, at least. I remember uh, talking to a tech. He was a small business tech CEO at my cousin's house um, in Canada, and he was in, he was involved with one of the first people to do sensors for snow and lawn. Meaning, the, like the trucks would come in, 
hit the sensors, billing would start. It would map out what they've done. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you literally had a digital map. So we started talking about it. My cousin always loved me and him arguing because we were always back and forth. But he, he always, I'm like, kind of asked the same thing. No, what do you think? And he goes, like, dude, apps are dead, bud. Apps are dead. And I'm like, apps are in their infancy, man. Like, everything that we're going to do is going to have an app. Like, everything. And, he, and he's like, you're so wrong. And every time I see him now, I'm like, hey, which app are you using? You know, and we kind of rub his nose in it. But think about now how much garbage apps we have for stuff that's completely that we you thought was completely ridiculous 10 years ago. Like, why do I need an app for whatever? My stupid doorbell. Now, you know, we can't live without it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I think there's going to be consolidation of some of those apps probably too. You know, right now it's the doorbell and maybe one other device. But as these devices start permeating into a home or into an environment, there's going to be expectation of integration. You know, you, Bob, you don't want to be the integrator. You don't want 17 no. doorbells to be well, looking look at, at or 17 different cameras, right? I was going to say, look at my, um, I'm not going to show you, look at my uh, my Nest app. You know what I mean? You got the the, the thermostat. Yep. And you have the, the living room camera and the front door camera. Yep. yep. You know what I mean? So like, yeah, sure. they're starting, you know, now that it's bought by Google now you're starting to, yeah, you're seeing the consolidation. It's great. No, it's a great example. Cause I, I kind of like that. I'm like, God, I don't need another app. And then I go, Oh, it just works with that one. Cool. Yep. Thank you. Yep. I mean, try, uh, uh, it's frictionless. So that's another one of these you know terms, frictionless experiences and whatnot. That's real, right? People don't want friction. I, I just want, I just ordered something on Amazon last evening for a trip that I'm taking and you know, I'm, I'm prime member have been for a long while and I'm very used to two days. I ordered last night at 10 PM and the first option for free was, would you like it there between four and 6 AM? And I mean, it was just like razor blades for a replacement of, of something. I mean, <laughs> it was just like a six hour window. It's just, that's what, that's kind of what I'm getting at is I don't necessarily know that over the course of the next handful of years, there's going to be new, but I think there's going to be entirely different experiences because this stuff's going to permeate and overlap and inform one another in ways that uh, folks aren't quite ready for. And this is this is that compounding disruptive force that's going to start taking. This is why we, we're going all the way back to the beginning of the conversation of you know what is what is uh, digital disruption, what is digital transformation. That's tra- that's that's the disruption. That's the transformation. It's not just little point things. They get started with little point things. But it's this kind of compounding on top of each other. It's going to really transform the way that people, you know, live, work, play, etc. Did you click yes or no? That's we're all waiting for that one. Oh, it, I, I, it's funny because I didn't need it, and I felt kind of guilty. But I'm like, I gotta see if this thing works. So I clicked yes, and it was here. It was wow. it, it made it in like hours. It was crazy. It, I it, felt know. bad. I ordered a Star Wars figure. <laughs> of course you did i know <laughs> we we all got into collecting figures during COVID. like so now me and my buddies are like his whole basement now is a shrine and he's like this is a we're all talking about new pieces and yeah we were like little kids again um but they asked me the same thing do you want it tomorrow i'm like and i it was free but i felt bad i'm like no two days is fine because there's a cost to that and you know what i mean totally. like i just felt like i didn't need it right away i mean you know, I should have thinking way too much about it, right? It's just, just give me my damn figure. No, hey man, as long as you got that figure faster than everybody else, that's all that matters. You know, you got to. So I can post it on Facebook and go first, neener, neener. It's really, <laughs> you know. <laughs> hey man, you're the one collecting figures. Give me a break. Ah, uh, and I bought two bookcases that are like I'm show with LED lights. I'm showcasing them. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> Pretty soon so you're like, going to get a camera. You're going to get another camera so you can show them at all times. So, right. Yeah, I mean, monitor. listen, my mom had those ridiculous Hummel figures and that ceramic crap. 
and it's the it's the modern day equivalent. <laughs> totally, totally. I feel you. So, hey, I can't I can't thank you enough for hanging out with us. We're gonna wrap up episode four hundred three. Greg, we can find you on LinkedIn. Uh, we can find you on Amazon. Uh, competing in the connecting world. We can find you on everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. You, me and your top three podcasts and uh, at work CGS advisors. Uh, I can't seriously. Can't thank you enough for the time. It's always a great conversation with you. Bob, thanks for having me, Randy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it guys. Look forward to having beers and uh, we're going to wrap things up for episode 403 on behalf of uh, myself and Randy, do us all a favor, drink up your drinks, get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. See you.